Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.41 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 18th day of July, 2023, and this is episode 757, Palodrome of Bitcoin, and Circle P is open for business. I forgot to do Circle P yesterday, and seems to be fairly effective. I mean, I mentioned Maple Trade. I guess on the Friday show and he sent me a he sent me a boost for my pro, my cut of the proceeds of a soap and maple syrup sale so it's not ineffective uh so I'm going to continue to do the circle P um if you guys want to get in drop me uh drop me a DM you know what what good or service or I mean hell even if you got a you know well Give me a boostagram if you've got a meetup. But if you got a something that for sale, if you've got some, like a service or a product that you know you're not drop shipping it for somebody else, it's something that you make or that you do, and you need some I don't know some exposure. Let me know, man. Let me know. I'll be I'll be more than happy to yeah you know, see if we can I don't know see if I can get you some get you some sales. All I ask for is a cut. And that is, you know, of course, uh, to be determined in discussions, you know, later on. And honestly, my my cuts are not that big. I, I really want to give a platform to people that want to, I don't know, either they got a side hustle or they want to try something different, right? But advertising right now, the whole model is broke. That's very, very, very clear. So I've come up with the Circle P as a way to, I don't know, not rectify it. I don't want to fix advertising, but as long as people are listening to the show and they're like, Hey, I kind of like that idea of having that product. Maybe I'll go visit this person and buy it. And I'll tell them that I heard it from the circle P on the Bitcoin and podcast. Maybe it'll help that one person. I don't know. But right now today, uh, we have Shishi. No, we don't. We have no, uh, although Shishi is also part of the uh, Circle P. He sells uh, uh, comfrey roots, by the way. No, no, no. We're going to do Buys Nerds again. Uh, Maple Trade is his moniker, uh, but Buys Nerds, B-E-I-S-N-E-R-D-S, is that's his handle on Noster and Twitter. And you can get handmade maple syrup, and his sister Sarah makes handmade beef tallow based soap and it's both of these products are top-notch products i'm already out of all the maple syrup that buys nerds sent me aka maple trade uh the i am down to the i am down to like half a pint of the cooking maple syrup which is a different grade than the light sweet maple syrup and he's got another like a darker amber type thing going on and all these are these are all different batches. I mean, it's like and it depends on when he's pulling the sap from the trees because the 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 sap con- or the sugar content in the sap is just different during different seasons and so it doesn't really matter doesn't really matter what he boils down, whatever it is that he starts with determines the output of the product. But all the products are high quality. The soap is one of the highest quality soaps that I've ever used. And I've used a lot of handmade soaps because me and my wife like going and shopping like little little soap vendors in different towns when we go on vacation. And this one, this one particular soap is one of the best ones that I've ever had. Anyway, find him at B-E-I-S-N-E-R-D-S. That's pronounced Bisnerds. Also look for Maple Trade, both on Noster and Twitter. 
mention that you heard uh, him from me and the Circle P and see if I can get him yet one more sale. All right, now, on with the show. We're going to start this one with Moral Compass, The Political Spectrum and Our Understandings of Bitcoin. This is written by D. Rezkita, I think is how you pronounce it, from Bitcoin Magazine. In politics, individuals are often grouped into left and right. But the complexities go well beyond this simple dichotomy to gain a deeper understanding of people's beliefs and values, and ultimately how these will inform their outlook on Bitcoin, it is crucial to consider their social views as well. This is where a political compass comes into play, serving as a valuable tool for analysis. What is a political compass? The political compass is a graphic representation of political ideologies that helps categorize individuals or groups based on their views on two main axes, economic policy, which goes from left to right, and social policy, which goes top to bottom. It provides a more nuanced understanding of political ideologies beyond the traditional left-right spectrum. You can easily take the political compass test at this link, and the link is provided. The political compass allows for a more comprehensive understanding of political ideologies by incorporating both economic and social dimensions. It recognizes that political views cannot be easily reduced to a simple left-right spectrum and acknowledges the varying degrees of government intervention and social control that different ideologies advocate for. The left-right axis reflects a spectrum of economic policy preferences. On the left side, you find ideologies that generally advocate for greater government intervention in the economy and more equitable distribution of wealth and resources. These ideologies may support policies such as progressive taxation, social welfare programs, and government regulation of industries. They often prioritize social justice and reducing inequality. On the right side, you find ideologies that favor less government intervention in the economy and emphasize individual freedom and free markets. These ideologies tend to support lower taxes, limited government regulation, and free trade. They believe that economic prosperity is best achieved through minimal government interference and individual initiative. The authoritarian-libertarian access represents social policy preferences and the degree of government control over personal freedoms. Authoritarian ideologies advocate for a strong central authority that exercises control over various aspects of society. They may support strict law enforcement, censorship, and limitations on individual rights in the name of maintaining social order and stability. Libertarian ideologies, on the other hand, emphasize individual liberty and limited government intrusion into personal matters. They prioritize individual rights, civil liberties, and freedom of choice. They advocate for a smaller role of government and believe that individuals should have the freedom to make their own decisions without unnecessary interference. How different political views inform understanding of Bitcoin. By assessing someone's position on the political compass, we can gain an insight into their overall political outlook and where they stand on key issues related to economics and personal freedoms. This also affects how we understand Bitcoin based on the perspective of each spectrum, so let's analyze them one by one. Left authoritarian Bitcoiners. Wow. People with a left authoritarian leaning outlook prefer strong state authority and social control over society. It represents a belief system where the government plays a significant role in both the economy and social affairs. Left authoritarians typically advocate for greater wealth redistribution, social welfare programs, and government regulation of industries to address issues of inequality and social justice. They believe that a strong central authority is necessary to ensure economic equality and protect the rights of marginalized groups. Left authoritarians may support progressive taxation, labor rights, and government intervention in markets to promote economic stability and resource disparities. When it comes to social policy, they favor strict regulations and laws to maintain social order and advance their vision of a more equitable society. They often prioritize collective well-being over individual liberties and may endorse policies such as censorship, 
limitations on free speech, and restrictions on personal freedoms in the interest of promoting social cohesion and harmony. Left authoritarian-leaning Bitcoin enthusiasts advocate for increased regulations surrounding Bitcoin. They harbor a skeptical view of Bitcoin, appreciating its technological advancements, while expressing concerns about its potential impact on government taxation. Furthermore, they express worries about the energy consumption associated with Bitcoin. Oh my God. They also despise that Bitcoin can be used for criminal and terrorist activities. These individuals find Bitcoin maximalists frustrating and urge them to adopt a more inclusive approach and align with the popular narrative. Right-leaning authoritarian Bitcoiners. Right authoritarians generally support free market capitalism and limited government intervention in the economy. They advocate for policies such as lower taxes, deregulation, and protection of private property rights. They believe that economic freedom and individual initiatives are key to prosperity and societal well-being. Right authoritarians often emphasize the importance of law and order, national security, and maintaining traditional social hierarchies. In terms of social policy, right authoritarians prioritize traditional values and cultural norms. They tend to oppose social changes that challenge traditional family structures, religious institutions, or national identity. A right authoritarian Bitcoiner sees Bitcoin as a byproduct of a free market. They appreciate the technological advances and capital gains that come with Bitcoin. That's why these individuals advocate for Bitcoin as a personal savings or a reserve. They acknowledge the potential for Bitcoin to be used in money laundering and therefore handle Bitcoin with caution, making efforts to comply with regulations such as paying capital gains taxes and adhering to know your customer requirements for Bitcoin. For Muslim Bitcoiners with the right authoritarian spectrum, there could be genuine concerns regarding whether Bitcoin is considered halal or haram. Even though they do not entirely agree with central bank digital currencies, these Bitcoiners see CBDCs as an inevitable move and believe it can be helpful in providing financial access to more people. Left-leaning libertarian Bitcoiners generally advocate for significant economic and social reforms to address inequalities and promote a more equitable distribution of wealth and resources. Left libertarians believe that economic power should be decentralized and shared among individuals rather than concentrated in the hands of a few. They advocate for the removal of laws and regulations that restrict individual choices and behaviors as long as they don't harm anyone else. They support issues such as human rights, freedom of speech, and the right to privacy. Left libertarians are critical of state control and interventions that infringe upon individual liberties. A left libertarian Bitcoiner sees Bitcoin as a tool to grant financial freedom to marginalized individuals. They are profoundly moved by stories showcasing how Bitcoin has been utilized by dissidents and even in war zones. They consistently remind us of the cases of Julian Assange and Ross Ulbricht or, quote, George Orwell's 1984 or Animal Farm books, using these examples to highlight why Bitcoin is necessary in the first place. Left libertarians prioritize utmost privacy, fearing that the state may eventually strip it away. They actively seek ways to obtain the most private form of Bitcoin, and if they engage in mining, it is primarily to acquire Bitcoin in a KYC-free way. They also pushed Bitcoin to be accepted as a global payment so that more people can be included in the economy. Moreover, they hold a deep disdain for CBDCs, perceive them as a tool for state control over individuals. They express significant concerns about the potential correlation between CBDCs and social credit scores similar to the system implemented in China. Left libertarians regard this as a serious threat to personal freedoms and are vigilant in voicing their apprehensions about the encroachment of state power. In summary, the left libertarian Bitcoiner advocates for using Bitcoin as a means to grant financial autonomy, strongly emphasizes privacy rights, resists CBDCs, and remains wary of state overreach and potential surveillance systems. The right-leaning libertarians advocate for minimal government interference in the economy, promoting free market capitalism, and laissez-faire principles. They believe that voluntary transactions and individual self-interest are the most efficient means to allocate resources and promote economic growth. 
right libertarians argue for reduced regulations, lower taxes, and limited government spending, viewing these policies as catalysts for entrepreneurship, innovation, and prosperity. In terms of social policy, right libertarians prioritize individual rights and freedoms, advocating for the protection of civil liberties, free speech, and personal privacy. They generally oppose government intervention in matters such as drug use, consensual adult activities, and nonviolent behaviors. Right libertarians value personal responsibility and self-determination, arguing that individuals should have the freedom to make their own choices as long as they don't infringe upon the rights of others. The right libertarian Bitcoiner is enthusiastic about delving into Austrian economics literature. They firmly believe that Bitcoin represents the ultimate form of private property immune to state interference. Many right libertarians cherish their independence, prefer to be left preferring to be left alone. I I so hear you. They enjoy weightlifting, following carnivorous diets, and advocate for traditional family values. Uh, that's a, I don't know, man. Some do. I'm just pausing here to say some do. That's a little bit on the... Uh, some of this stuff, I get it. Some of this stuff is a little bit stereotypical, but uh, we'll just go through it. Uh, these individuals, the right libertarian Bitcoiners, are captivated by Bitcoin and eagerly explore various Lightning Network applications, always on the lookout for the latest innovations in the Bitcoin space. Some of them actively participate in trading or even establish their own Bitcoin-related businesses as alternative avenues to acquire yet more Bitcoin. Typically, these individuals prioritize their freedom of speech, and are unafraid to express their views. They maintain a strong focus on investing in Bitcoin with a long-term mindset, hoping that one day their Bitcoin holdings will generate wealth for their families. They also despise CBDCs and surveillance cameras because they can be used as tools to strip away freedoms. Right libertarians perceive CBDCs as a threat to the economy as they bear the potential for hyperinflation and state control. Now let's come to center. The centrist Bitcoiner. What if your views lean neither left nor right? This would make you a centrist. Centrism is characterized by a moderate and pragmatic approach approach to politics, seeking to find balance between competing interests and perspectives. Centrists often emphasize the importance of practical solutions and compromise. They believe in considering a range of viewpoints, weighing evidence and making decisions based on what they perceive as the most effective and reasonable courses of action. Centrists typically reject extreme or rigid ideological positions, preferring a more flexible and nuanced approach. They are inclined to support policies that are based on evidence, effectiveness, and the overall well-being of society. A centrist Bitcoiner, whether positioned on the Y-axis, authoritarian slash libertarian, or the x-axis of the political compass takes a pragmatic approach to Bitcoin. They do not discount the fact that accumulating Bitcoin can be a means to personal enrichment and is also important for personal freedoms. However, they recognize the importance of the fiat system as it undergirds the currencies that people currently use. Sometimes, other Bitcoiners perceive centrist Bitcoiners as opportunistic or confusing because... They tend to navigate both sides of the spectrum. They may express skepticism towards cryptocurrencies on one occasion while being supportive of them on another. Similarly, they might hold both anti-government and pro-government regulation views. For centrists, their stance depends on the specific context of each situation. These Bitcoiners always try to appease extreme opinions from different spectrums and sometimes enjoy playing the devil's advocate. Well, of course. It is foolish to label Bitcoiners solely as libtards or maxis because, based on this breakdown, there are nuanced differences among them all. There are no right or wrong views, and no group holds superiority over others. This analysis serves to illustrate that everyone possesses unique perspectives, and this diversity will always be a dynamic characteristic of the world, particularly within the Bitcoin space. All right, so that that's the that's the opinion piece here. What was left out? We got right-leaning libertarians, right-leaning authoritarians, left-leaning libertarians and left-leaning authoritarians, and then and then we got people that are like gravitating around the center. You got the centrists. What's what's common here? Bitcoin. When we say Bitcoin is the shelling point, we're we're not lying. 
It's it literally is the black hole for which any of these types of people, whether you're I don't know, whether you're extreme on any one in any one of these directions, you you still have this one thing in common with each other. And that shelling point, it's not just a meeting place that you don't have to actually tell each other about or a time in which to meet, which is sort of that's the way that we look at a shelling point. Like if I were to go to New York City and my friend knew I was coming to New York City but had no idea when I was going to be there or where we were going to meet because our telephone telephone conversation by, got cut off by, I don't know, an electromagnetic pulse that took down all the grids, where would we meet? And a lot of people say, 12 noon, clock tower, Grand Central Station, New York City. That's a shelling point. That's the, the, the point at which you have the most likelihood of rubbing up against somebody that you know or that is going to be able to do something for you or somebody that you can agree with or somebody that you can do work with or somebody that you can collaborate with. See how this works? So it, it, it is, it's not just that Bitcoin came in to do all these other things that fix fiat, uh, fix the cost of capital, fix our time preference, fix a whole bunch of shit. But it also gave us a common raft to float upon with each other in this sea of inequity, uncertainty, and downright bullshit, right? So I can have a complete disagreement with somebody on the opposite end of the political spectrum. But if we both hold Bitcoin, then we have that in common. And from that commonality, we can start finding other commonalities. Does it mean that we're all going to be singing Kumbaya? No, but Bitcoin becomes more than a savings vehicle. It becomes more than a, a means of transmission of value. It becomes more than all these other things that we've seen. One of the greatest assets that it brings to the table is almost never spoken of. And that is bringing disparate groups of people together under a common umbrella so that we can have a discussion and that we might be able to work together even though we don't believe in the same bullshit that each other believes in because we have the one thing that is not bullshit. And you know what that is. Continuing with another story, this one from Coindesk, Amkar Godbull is writing it. Bitcoin cannot remain indifferent to the dollar index for very long, according to an analyst. Bitcoin's negative correlation with the United States dollar index, the DXY, has broken in recent weeks, with the top cryptocurrency struggling to gather upside traction amid continued sell-off in the greenback. The situation, however, may not last long per one observer. The dollar index, which gauges the U.S. dollar's exchange rate against major global fiat currencies, fell 2.26% last week, which is its worst performance since November. The index dropped below 100, hitting the lowest since April of last year. Still, Bitcoin traded primarily between $30,000 and $32,000, extending the multi-week consolidation even as equities, including meme stocks, rallied. Quote, the negative relationship between the DXY and Bitcoin is likely to return as gyrations in the dollar index influence global liquidity conditions, which in turn affect valuations and risk assets, including cryptocurrencies, according to Noel Artson, author of Crypto is Macro Now newsletter and former head of research at Coindesk and Genesis. The dollar is a global reserve currency. No, it is the global reserve currency playing an outsized role in global trade, international debt, and non-bank borrowing. When the greenback rallies, those with dollar borrowings face higher debt servicing costs and scale back exposure to risk assets. The weakening of the dollar has the opposite effect. The Bitcoin DXY relationship will be hard to shake for long, though. It's not just that the U.S. dollar is the denominator in the most quoted pair for the crypto asset. It's also that a weaker dollar boosts global liquidity by giving U.S. dollar debt holders around the world more room to breathe, Arkson said in Monday's edition of the newsletter. The chart 
shows and they show a chart, but this chart shows debt issued by firms in a currency other than that of their home country from early 2000 to 2022. The U.S. dollar is clearly the preferred choice with the percentage of debt denominated in U.S. dollars holding steady at around 70% since 2010. Lastly, while popular opinion attributes gold's impressive bull run of the 2000s to the launch of the spot-based exchange-traded funds, the positive macro environment, including periods of sustained DXY weakness, also played a big role. So, trends in the DXY are too important to be ignored for long by crypto market players, and Bitcoin could pick up a bid if the greenback continues to lose some altitude. The dollar's recent decline has legs, according to Goldman Sachs. Quote, the dollar sold off sharply in response to cooler inflation and anticipates and and anticipation of a more patient Fed stance beyond July. We think that this can extend in the near term because the same factors that weighed on this report look likely to be softer still in coming months and the policy implications bring welcome relief to a number of corners of the market. Goldman's economics research team said in a note to clients on Friday. Oxen voiced a similar opinion, saying that fundamentals point to a continued decline in the dollar, quote, the USD decline feels solid. It was a long time coming, and fundamentals point to its continued slide. Despite signs of that the consumer in the U.S. is still strong, more on this below, inflation is heading lower fast. Headline inflation in the United States on a year-on-year basis is now lower than that of Japan. Let that sink in. True, this only applies to headline inflation and not core, but still, Oxen noted. Traders expect the Federal Reserve to halt its tightening cycle after the expected 25 basis point interest rate hike later this month. And that's, by the way, going to come in on the 25th and 26th of July. Um, Since March 2022, the central bank has raised rates by 500 basis points to the 5 to 5.25% range. The tightening was partly responsible for last year's crypto market crash. No, it wasn't. Okay, well, it kind of was. That crash was going to happen inevitably because it was basically FTX, um, Terra Luna, Celsius, BlockFi, and a whole host of others, by the way acting in very clearly nefarious ways. It would have happened anyway. Did it, did the this thing the basis point rise and the Fed rate you know raising the rates did it did it speed it up? Yeah, but it was going to happen anyway. It was going to happen anyway because you can't you can't do the things that Celsius and you know uh was Alameda Research and FTX and all those guys. You can't do shit like that and not and not have it blow blow the fuck apart at one point or another. So it just accelerated. It didn't cause it. However, you know, here's here's the thing. They are probably going to raise rates by another 25 basis points at the end of this month. So we're looking July 25th, 26th. We might not know until the 27th. It depends on when they, you know, whoever gets to release the news actually releases it. I expect that they'll that they'll actually hike that thing. And then Powell is going to find himself in that that position where he can just do nothing and still look like he's king of the hill, king shit, strong as an ape. All right, cuz he doesn't need to be looking weak. If he looks weak in the face of the other global economies in the world, it wow, shit can go south fast. So He's just is just going to look like he's the strong man on the hill and he can do nothing and still remain looking strong on the hill. Does Bitcoin finally follow the path that a weaker dollar means that it's easier to get into a risk asset? I don't know, man. Nobody does. Nobody does. However, I've, you know, we've seen the dollar at some very weak levels before. It's it was just sitting at a hundred right now, kinda around there. It's been really low. It's been ninety four. It's been ninety five. And this is since I've been in Bitcoin. Does this really track? I you know I don't know. Honestly, I think Bitcoin is a different beast. I think I get the feeling that Bitcoin has this tendency 
to sometimes do what it's expected to do and act the way it's expected to act. And then other times without any warning whatsoever, it does something completely different. If you think, if if you're of the mind that at one point or another that that's going to stabilize and that you'll be able to day trade on that information, you're going to get wrecked. Assume the following. Bitcoin is going to do whatever Bitcoin is going to do and it doesn't give a shit about what you want it to do. All right, moving on to a more funnier path. Unsubstantiated. An expert is refuting Greenpeace Bitcoin mining pollution claims. Okay, so we kind of knew that it was bullshit, but here it comes from Andrew Thorvalis and Decrypt. An ESG-focused fund manager is challenging the claims from the environmental nonprofit Greenpeace USA that Bitcoin mining is a major source of pollution and societal harm. In a report published last Tuesday, Greenpeace USA called on Bitcoin-friendly financial service companies, including BlackRock, Fidelity, J.P. Morgan, and others, to denounce Bitcoin's climate destruction and encourage a code change to a cleaner protocol that obviates the mining industry. That is never going to happen, ladies and gentlemen, never. Quote, all of these companies have connections to Bitcoin and have failed to take meaningful action to solve the problem despite making climate and sustainability pledges, Greenpeace USA wrote. It's a view rejected by CH4 Capital co-founder Daniel Batten, who argues that Bitcoin is a force for environmental healing rather than harm. Quote, there is a growing weight of evidence from those most qualified to make the assessment to suggest that Bitcoin mining helps build out the renewable grid, Batten wrote in a formal rebuttal to Greenpeace USA on Sunday. He cites Brad Jones, former interim CEO of the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, who has spoken about Bitcoin's ability to make renewable energy operators more profitable, fundable, and stable. According to Batten, many of the facts and figures used by Greenpeace USA to demonstrate Bitcoin's environmental harm were misleading, if not outright false. Greenpeace USA uses unsubstantiated fear about what might happen rather than evidence, he writes, saying the report is filled with emotive language. For example, Greenpeace USA claims that the mining industry is mostly powered by coal. In fact, Batten notes, there are 41 known sustainably powered mining operations and only one operation still uses a coal-related product. Furthermore, unlike the environmental activist groups claim that Bitcoin's climate destruction would accelerate if left unchecked, Batten presented data showing that Bitcoin's emissions are actually falling over time. Quote, emissions are falling over time despite rising hash rate due to the decimation of mining in Kazakhstan and other coal-based grids, explained Batten in a message to Decrypt. Such miners, he said, have relocated to more sustainably powered grids like, you know, those in Texas. He also cited individual public mining companies such as Marathon, which have moved their facilities from a coal-based to wind-based standard alongside flare gas mining that reduces the overall net emissions of the Bitcoin network. Batten's funds specifically invest in companies that aim to mine Bitcoin using purified landfill gas that would otherwise be burned and pollute the atmosphere with methane emissions. The process is a win-win for both the environment and the company's bottom line. He writes, quote, our $400 million fund will have sufficiently dry powder to finance the Bitcoin network, abating more emissions than it is creating, which can end ESG FUD, the major remaining barrier for both retail and institutional adoption, Batten told Decrypt. The Bitcoin community has been largely unwelcoming to Bitcoin, to uh, Greenpeace's USA's campaign, which began last year after the organization received $5 million to highlight the perils of the mining industry. When asked for his thoughts on the Greenpeace USA campaign and its backer, Ripple co-founder Chris Larson, Batten refused to comment in great detail, quote, I'll let people make up their own mind about the intentions of a chair of another altcoin giving a large sum of money to help an NGO attack a rival form of cryptocurrency in Bitcoin, he said. Uh, <laughs> okay, so here, here's the, the, it's not a problem. What he says is right. It's just that, you know, it's pretty much, it's, it's, aside from us, it's going to fall on deaf ears. Why? Because he's got skin in the game. He's a, he, he interested in mining, right? So it would take somebody that's not a miner. It would take somebody in the mainstream media, God forbid, 
but hey, these are facts, okay? It would take somebody that is not a minor, that is in mainstream media, that is well-respected in economic and environmental circles to actually come out, say the same things before it would have any effect that Mr. Batten has done. You understand what I'm saying? Because he is a minor or at least in, you know, tangentially, if not directly involved in Bitcoin mining, it's going to be looked at as bias and everybody's got a bias. I get it, but it doesn't matter how right this guy is because Batten is absolutely correct. It doesn't matter. It's that can be spun. I mean, all you got to do is throw it on CNBC along with that idiot, Ben McKenzie. And all of a sudden Ben will just turn around and say, well, he's a minor. So clearly he has a bias. Who is Ben McKenzie? You ask? Let's find out. Leon, earlier this, he's great, smart guy, stock analyst, thinks Bitcoin's going to 200000 So we have, you know, Kathy Wood, um, BlackRock uh, wants to have a an ETF, uh, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, Paul Tudor Jones, as long, Stan Druckenmiller. Sure. sure. And just across the board, it didn't take me long to understand how the unbanked could benefit from this. And I also understand the distributed ledgers, and I understand it, it was only, I, I mean, I didn't, you say you did a deep dive, and it only took me about 20 pages of the Bitcoin standard to understand that this was probably something that, do you think, Black, so, you think so all the, these firms are going to have egg on their face? So it's going, it's a democratized, to, decentralized future of money is blocked to you by BlackRock? I don't know. Black, they, maybe. They may, I mean, if, if, if they think it's uh, gold, if they think it's, you know, oh, that's why I was yeah. digital gold. Right, exactly, and that's why I was explaining the difference between uh, no, I heard that, but and so scarcity. A lot of smart people are so are fooled by it. You think it's going to zero eventually? No, that's that's like a. I mean, look, where do you it's think it's a going? Story. It, I, I can't predict the future any more than anyone else, but I you would think say it's this. going lower. Yes. Okay. It, it, do you think eventually there will not be something called Bitcoin? It's a story. It'll last as long as people believe in it. All right, so that was Ben McKenzie. Who is he? That, if you ever watched The O.C., I think it was on Fox back in the early aughts. It was like 2003 to 2007. It was a teen drama in, like based in, like I don't know, Ocean County or Orange County, California or something like that. And it was a bunch of rich teens that had all these problems. And Ben McKenzie was like the the outsider guy who was like poor from Brooklyn or some shit like that. Anyway, that's where he got his start. And he's been an actor ever since. And apparently he's written this book called Easy Money. And it is an anti-crypto stance book. And he is now making the rounds on CNBC and God only knows what else. But the whole discussion between him and this is on Squawk Box, by the way. So it's Joe, whatever his name is. I can't remember the guy's name. Joe, the the host. Um, it demonstrates something between these two individuals that both of them don't fucking know anything about how Bitcoin actually works. Ben says something to the effect of, oh, a decentralized something something blockchain owned by BlackRock. That was his retort. He's being a dick. I mean, the guy's just being an absolute dick to Joe. I mean, I'm not a big old fan of Joe either, but holy shit, don't, you don't have to be that fucking rude all the time. In either event, just because somebody buy, I mean, at this point, MicroStrategy owns more Bitcoin than BlackRock. So now is Bitcoin, uh, is the blockchain owned by MicroStrategy? You know the answer to that. It's this guy's going to make a killing on this book. He doesn't understand the first thing about what he's talking about. He's been invited on all these shows because he's an, an old child actor, I guess, turned economist. I'm not exactly sure how this fucking works because he's an actor, not an accountant, not an economist, not an institutional trader as far as I know. But yet here he is with this book explaining to us how Bitcoin is just it's just bad and it's going to trend lower always. Okay. What bugs me is that Joe himself doesn't seem to understand because his retort should have been that's not how it works. But it wasn't. His retort was basically 
Yeah, but if BlackRock sees it as the next gold, then of course. Anyway, that's that's the idiot that's making the rounds on Noster and and Twitter today. And so that's that's where this is coming from. That's who Ben McKenzie is. That's why the whole this whole thing is being, re, you know, reposted, renoted, retweeted, whatever. Right. So but watch out for people like this. They're coming because what else is coming? Alt season 2.0. Alt season 2.0 is, is going to be upon us anytime. I mean, I, I'm literally waiting for, you know, 10 new altcoins to drop out of the sky, immediately listed on Coinbase, and the robbery of retail continue unabated. But seeing as we were leaving with CNBC, we'll go ahead and run the numbers. Back to CNBC, futures and commodities for the numbers. I got West Texas Intermediate up two full points today, $75.62 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise up one and a half to $79.64. Uh, natural gas is up, wow, 4.78% to $2.63 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline up again, two and a quarter points to $2.69 a gallon. Gold is doing well today, one and a quarter percent to the upside, $1,981.10. Silver is up almost a point. Platinum is up three quarters of a point. Copper's down a third. Palladium is up 2.61 percent lumber is down 0.85 percent everything else in ag is in the green and for a lot of them well in the green like wheat up 2.37 percent but the biggest winner today is corn five and a quarter percent to the upside that's a hell of a swing right there buddy uh got live cattle up 0.77 percent lean hogs however are down 0.8 feeder cattle likewise down 0.58 percent dow is oh we're saved the Dow is up a point. Yay! S&P is up 0.69. NASDAQ is up 0.9%. And the S&P Mini is up three quarters of a point. Real money clearly struggling. $29,799.17. After a third of a million Bitcoin have changed hands in the last 24 hours with an average transaction value of half a Bitcoin and a median transaction value of 37 bucks. Block times are seriously low. Eight minutes and 25 seconds. 0.1 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 19 and a half taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Pardon the garbage truck. I have a window open. Sorry about that, guys. Wow. Hash rate 1.81% to the upside brings us to 403.8 exahashes per second. Uh, Dogecoin, 6.8 United States pennies. So the altcoin market is actually holding steady against Bitcoin right now. Why? Because Ripple and that idiot Judge Torres is just screwing everything up. It really is. It's going to cause alt season 2.0. We're going to have to deal with the loss, Bitcoin's loss of dominance narrative again. We've got idiots like Ben McKenzie running around pilot, you know, pi, uh, what uh i don't know pushing their book off on 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 people like joe over on squat box it's just it's a mess it's a mess all right so god only knows how this having is going to shake out i'm i'm just saying now dashboard clark moody 581.1 billion dollars of market cap is just below four and a half percent of gold's entire market cap you may get uh, 15.4 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,432,786.85 of and 4,898.9 of those are in the Lightning Network, now valued at $146.5 million. That's being run over 16,341 nodes that we can see and 69,264 payment channels that we know about. 71% of all that is being run over Tor. The mempool is eh, the mempool is what the mempool has been for weeks and weeks and weeks. We're looking at about 137 blocks carrying 258,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear. High priority transactions are selling for nine satoshis per vbyte. Low priority for seven satoshis and purging everything out of the mempools across the globe for anything under 3.35. 
Satoshis per V-byte. And what are the mining numbers here? Holy shit. Holy shit. 475.9 exahashes per second, according to mempool.space. I'm going to get into the graph and kind of tease this out a little bit. Um, Yeah. Wow. Okay, so... Now, the hash rate according, well, what was the hash rate? I don't know where they're getting this number. Because according to mempool.space's own graphical representation over time of what the hash rate has been historically, uh, it's not it's not higher than 453. And that was back on July the 9th. So I don't know. I Hash rate is a weird animal altogether, but we're we're high. We're we've got to be at least above 400 exahashes per second. That's good. And I am back in the top 10, most likely thanks to Wartime Psycho because he gave me a 10,000 Satoshi boost. Um and it put me back into the top 10 along with all the rest of you guys and here we go. Wartime Psycho with 10,000 says cheers, cheers, bro. Henry G Q J with three thousand says Dave going to the moon. <laughs> Henry G Q J again with three thousand sat says tokenized dad jokes on the blockchain. I can see that dude. Nick underscore dose with two three four five says cheers. O two Z X who I have never seen before with one two three four says zap. Dubravko with one thousand says Billings will be off the chain. Monored with uh, 756 says, thank you, sir, for some down under news. Jim Leahy with 420 says, I thought the dryer was shrinking my clothes. Turns out it was the refrigerator all along. <laughs> God's death with 370. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. Pies with 100. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. Fatoshi. Uh, oh, actually, he was just replying. Never mind. BitGus with 100 says, I'm looking to switch from ledger to cold card. Can you explain how to begin this process? Jim Leahy comes back and replies to that and says, come on, man, why settle for anything but the best? Just get coin kite. Tend to agree. BitGus, um, that's not really for here. Um, what Honestly, here, if, if you got to know, here's what I would do. This is Actually, this is what I did. I decided to jump from Ledger because I just got tired of the myriad bullshit and the fact that it's a garbage. I, I hate that piece of hardware. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. It constantly needs to be upgraded with firmware. And every time it does, I get bricked. I'm, I was done. I have three of them. I'm fucking done. So I got a coin kite. What I did was generate my own, um, new, my own new private key on the cold card, with the cold card, right? The completely different wallet address, right? Or a completely different private key. And then I, and then I ginned up a new wallet address from that. And I started sending my Bitcoin from my ledger over to the new address. You could, if you so choose, enter in the passphrase that was that your you know the 20, 12 or 24 uh, seed word phrase right you could if you so choose if you know the der- the derivation path and the seed words of the ledger in question that's not hard to find you should have your seed words the derivation path should have come with your ledger hardware wallet you can put both of those into the cold card and that cold card will now have that same private key. The problem is it's become very evident over the past couple of months that it's possible that the people at Ledger know your private key. That's a no-no. So what I would do is I'd buy the cold card from CoinKite. I would spin up a brand new private key I would then use transactions to move the Bitcoin from the ledger private key over to your new private key generated by your cold card. That's the way that I would go. If you have any more questions, let me know. Give me a boostagram or DM me on Noster and I'll try to help you out. Dubrovko finishes us off with an emoji. Dubrovko, sorry, God, 100 Satoshis and that's going to do it for the weather report. God, I can't even think right now. 
Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. A final wor- a final piece of advice to BitGus about that moving from Ledger to cold card. Do so at your own risk. You you need to be careful every time that you make a, a Bitcoin transaction. Don't do it drunk. Don't get all, you know, take like 15 bong hits and start doing this shit. Be deliberate. Be sober. Be very mindful of what you're doing. Take your time when you do this. And honestly, when you're spinning up the the uh, a new private key from the cold card, practice with it while it's empty. And when I mean practice, I mean wipe the cold card and try and get the seed phrase back in and, and reconstitute that same private key. Make sure it's the same private key. Do all the things before you start moving Bitcoin around because as much as a lot of people will like to tell you, Oh, it's easy and you don't have to worry about it. I recommend that, that you take care and that you be mindful and that you be sober. All right. Don't, don't do, don't do drunken transactions. That shit will screw your ass up big time. Anyway, now moving on, uh, let's do this one. Wait. Yep. There we go. SEC Chair Gary Gensler is disappointed in the Ripple Court ruling on retail XRP sales. Yeah, I kind of figured he would be. Decrypt, Navesh Rustgi is writing it. The chair of the SEC, Gary Gensler, has expressed his disappointment with the judge's recent ruling in the regulator's ongoing case against Ripple. Following last week's ruling that programmatic sales of XRP to public buyers does not constitute the sale of unregistered securities, Gensler said that he was disappointed with federal district judge Annalisa Torres's decision. He added that the commission is looking at it and assessing that option, raising the possibility of a legal appeal to challenge the ruling. He better in his first remarks on the case. Since the ruling Gensler told the audience at a national press club that he was pleased that the judge found that institutional sales constituted unregistered security sales Gensler also reaffirmed his position on the crypto market during his speech, stating that the SEC has often communicated its stance through enforcement actions. On July the 13th, the SEC faced a setback in its court case against Ripple Labs as the federal judge ruled that the XRP token is not necessarily a security on its face. Jesus. The SEC chair addressed concerns from the public regarding the SEC's recent crackdown on the crypto market and why the commission was prioritizing enforcement actions over rulemaking. Gensel replied saying, that is something we do, adding that they have spoken through enforcement actions regularly since 1960 on matters such as insider trading. He added that, quote, We bring over 700 enforcement actions a year because Congress has put us here to protect you, the investors, and be a cop on that beat. Oh, God. Uh. Gensler compared the crypto markets with stock trading in the 1920s before the passing of securities laws saying that crypto is rife with fraud and abuse. He's not wrong. The SEC chair also said that we're going to continue trying to bring firms that may not be in compliance into compliance without prejudging any one of them. This includes firms responsible for developing cryptocurrencies and the exchanges that trade in them. Gensler added that both crypto and artificial intelligence are promising technologies that need regulatory oversight for investor protection, noting that the crypto market needs it more than the AI field. Oh, just wait, pal. He declined to comment on the recent wave of Bitcoin ETF applications and the chances of their approval. All right, all right, all right. So clearly Gensler's disappointed. And as much as I disagree with Ginzer on a great many things, I don't disagree with him here. He should be disappointed. I will reiterate that Judge Annalisa Torres has done the following. They've taken something and they have judged it that in a particular case, this thing is a security. And in this case, it's an unregistered security. Therefore, those sales were illegal and they're going to have to answer for that shit, i.e. Ripple Labs is going to have to answer for it. But that very same thing under different circumstances is not a security. And that's where, and I can't remember who it was, came up with the term Schrodinger shitcoin. It either, it, it, so it, it is a security and it's not a security all at the same time. 
And this is why this next alt season is going to be so goddamn dangerous for everybody that doesn't know shit like Ben's, Ben McKenzie about how any of this shit works. The new altcoins that are on the horizon will, because you can do this, you can spin up a coin, you can pre-mine that coin, hold a shit ton of it in, for yourself and your buddies, and then give the rest over to Coinbase for them to programmatically sell. So if I got a bid and a stop, those are programmatic sales, right? I, there, I've programmed Coinbase that, hey, here's my strike price, or here's my stop price, or here's my put price, or whatever. That's all programmatic. That's not me getting on a phone with my broker saying, buy it or sell it. This is programmatic actions. I've programmed it. Therefore, apparently, the expectation of profit, which is one of the tenets of the Howey test, and that's how we test as, as to something is a security or not, doesn't fucking apply. So I'll spin up a coin. I'll hold 70 million of them. And then I'll give 30 million of them over to Coinbase and they can sell them on my behalf. And all of a sudden, I'm not selling a, 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 an unlawful security, an unregistered security. That's now what has been unleashed upon the public. So the next round of altcoins is going, 80% of them at least are going to function exactly that way. It's going to be a shit coin. It's going to be pre-mined and then it's going to be programmatically sold, but none of it will be sold directly to high net worth individuals or family offices or institutions or hedge funds. They'll have to go buy it from Coinbase and Coinbase stock is going to go through the roof because they're going to make fees hand over fist. Why? Because they're going to list every single one of them. Why? Because Judge Annalisa Torres said it's okay. If you expect nothing less than Gary Gensler and the SEC to continue to fight this, you're wrong. Because this is the one time that me and the SEC agree. This is egregious. It is not only misfeasance, it's malfeasance. In my opinion, I think Annalisa Torres actually wants the investing retail public to become poor. I don't have any other explanation for her actions, but it's reprehensible. It's absolutely reprehensible. Now, for uh, continuing on with the SEC thing, U.S. regulatory clarity has begun in court after the Ripple win, according to the CFTC Commissioner Martin Young, Cointelegraph. Caroline Pham, one of five commissioners of the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, believes that the path to United States crypto regulatory clarity has been laid out following Ripple's partial victory. Speaking on Bloomberg TV yesterday, July the 17th, Commissioner Pham said recent big court decisions regarding the classification of crypto assets will eventually lead to regulatory clarity. Quote, you know, last year, I said that we were going to see regulatory clarity first in the courts around the definition of a security. And I think we've seen that that with some very big court opinions that have been released in quote. Pham said that she was looking forward to participating in regulatory, regulatory working groups and hoped other United States regulators, such as the SEC, would work together to come up with a holistic approach to crypto regulation. Pham's comments come a few days after San Francisco fintech firm Ripple won a key partial victory in an ongoing court battle in which the SEC accused it of selling unregistered securities. Annalisa Torres of the Southern District of New York ruled on July the 14th that XRP was not a security when sold to retail investors on digital asset exchanges. Ugh. The ruling was not well received by Gary Gensler, who called it disappointing. Despite this, Gensler has vowed to continue with enforcement actions following the recent Ripple triumph. Commissioner Pham also highlighted the importance of real-world asset tokenization. Oh, God. She said that there were real opportunities to modernize financial markets through the tokenization of money market funds on the blockchain, <laughs> bananas on the blockchain, shipping on the blockchain, and now financial markets on the blockchain. Traditional finance companies have been increasing their engagement with real-world asset protocols, resulting in several RWAs outperforming DeFi assets recently. 
So now the CFTC seems to actually be, I don't know, man, there's something about Commissioner Pham's statement that says, oh, well, now we've got clarity. How do you have clarity? On what planet do you live that a security is is an unregistered security on one hand, but not in a different situation all at the same time? How is that anything but less clear? You see what we're having to deal with here? Do you you see how dangerous this is going to be for this next alt season? I'm begging you to be very, very careful moving forward. And I'm doubly begging you to beg your friends and family to be on the lookout for what's coming. Don't let them hear about the next alt season on the news. And these like 15 new coins that are going to drop all in one day that are going to be listed the very next day on Coinbase and Kraken. Okay, don't let them find out that way. Be proactive. If they've ever asked you about Bitcoin or any of this stuff before, call them on the phone, message them through whatever social media platform you use, Facebook, I, I don't give a shit, and tell them to watch out for what's coming. Say, be on the lookout for a whole new crop of shit designed to take your money. Here's how it's going to work. Blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that I gave you. Okay, don't let them find out because, is it, uh, because God forbid, uh, Jim Cramer is going to get into the next big altcoin thing and get everybody wrecked. Or Joe, Joe Scarborough, that's it. Joe Scarborough from Squawk Box. If, if, if Joe says, oh my God, this, this, this is going to be awesome. No, it's not going to be awesome. And all your friends and family need to be warned about it preemptively. Okay, you can't wait for them to call you and say, hey, what do you think about this thing? And then go, oh, and then tell them all about it. Because when you, if you do that, they already have a bias where they want to buy it. It's the next big thing. They're going to get rich instantly. They've already got the bias in their mind. You've got to work to squelch that bias now before these, and you've got, I don't know, 10 days before the, before the crop starts coming out. I'll give it a month, but honestly, and I'm kind of being conservative and I don't mind being wrong. If I'm wrong, thank God. Because the longer I'm the longer I'm wrong about this, the better it is for the rest of the world. But ten days before we start seeing exactly what or or coins that match exactly what Annalisa Torres is allowing through this court ruling. Now the smart money is going to be the second wave of altcoins. And when I mean smart money, I don't mean you investing in it. It's all stupid. I mean the guys that with the altcoins that wait until this is completely cleared up. If if the SEC files <clears throat> or refiles and, and goes back and, and appeals this decision from Annalisa Torres and they lose and then they state that that's it, they're going to stop and that programmatic sales of securities are just going to be fucking okay from now on, that's when the real fun starts. For all the people that are going to lose their houses, lose their cars, making paid, you know, getting payday loans to buy this bullshit and get wrecked and wrecked and wrecked and wrecked and wrecked and wrecked and wrecked. That's where the real fun will start. If we're lucky, and I mean this, if we're lucky, Gary Gensler ties this shit up in court for two years so that nobody can really make a move. So the only people that will be left will be guys in caves somewhere with a goddamn internet connection, spinning up some shit coin and selling it to the naked mole rat over at Coinbase so that he can fleece you out of all your money. I'm just saying, man, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Tuesday with Dad Says Jokes. When I get to work, I immediately hide. Why? Good employees are hard to find. Probably not a bad way to go. All right. Just be careful. It's coming. This alt season is going to look very different. If you've seen alt season before, this one's going to be different. We'll have to see. I really... I really am praying that the SEC 
appeals this decision and that they win or at the very least that this shit goes on for like two, three years so that almost nobody can make a move. That would be the medium case scenario, the best case scenario with them to win and have Annalisa Torres's judgment completely overturned by a different court somewhere. But I don't know, man. I mean, the, the markets and humanity itself can stay stupid for a lot longer than we can remain liquid. Be aware, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.